0: This is the freestyle way. There you go. Yeah, I I usually drink coffee as we're recording, and uh, I I just try to keep it super casual. But super excited to talk to you. Super excited to connect with you. It's uh, been. Yeah, thank you. And um, yeah, when did we? When did we first connect?
1: Um, I think it was back in maybe April of last. No, this year of twenty. Twenty-two, yeah,
0: April. Yeah, the the years are kind of confusing, but yeah, it was April. (laughs) That makes sense because that's when I started uh, talking to and working with Sunny, right? Who we'll we'll talk about who 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 is Sunny uh, later on. But this is now about you. Uh, Yeah, it's been it's been really great getting to know you and uh, connect with you. And the the surprising part for me was not only uh, how much you knew and how you thought about things related to strength and conditioning, performance, but also uh, the way that you presented it. And this is the sense that I got, and I'm hoping that anybody listening can can get this too, is is that there is a sense of it's possible. Everything is possible. And you simply have to lean in a little bit. And if you do so, then you'll get there. The other sense I always got and uh, talking to you was that it's very simple. Things are simple, and I love that uh, about your approach. And I, I hope we can we can get to that. So enough rambling. This is what we're gonna do. I want to go backwards. So I want us to just go to the future, the end of this podcast, and I want us to just cut to the chase. And my my question for you is, what's what's the message of this podcast? For you, what's the outcome of it? What's the end?
1: Um, I think it would probably be that no matter what you think your projected plan is, right? You have your goal and the goal should remain fixed. And I mean, I'm not the first person to say this, but the path to the goal and the the journey to the goal should remain flexible and you should be open to pivoting and trying different things. Um And I think it's applicable to all stages of life. Mm. So yeah, let the goal remain fixed, but the plan remain flexible.
0: I like that. Is that something that you you think about often, or did it just come up now as I as I asked you this question?
1: It's something that I definitely think uh, about often that I've applied to my own life, and I've just seen, you know, repeated in my clients and my athletes. It's, you know, I mean, we didn't expect to have a pandemic. You know, it happened. It lasted way longer than it was predicted to. Um, a lot of people found themselves in a position where they had to pivot or start over or start something new. And I think for a lot of us, myself included, it was a time to reflect on the fact of I have goals, obviously, and those big goals are are probably going to remain fixed. Um, so I might as well do myself the greatest service I can and keep myself flexible and open. To different ways and methods of getting there,
0: mm. and what are your big goals?
1: Well, my big, my biggest goal would be to scale my my business, add a girl, my coaching business. Um, and to me, that means making it accessible to pretty much any anyone, uh, woman, men, and however they may identify, whoever needs it gets access to that training. And I think that learning about your body and like the habits that go into creating that healthy lifestyle is something that isn't really taught in school. Um, it is now, but it wasn't always. And I think that everyone deserves to know how their body works. So my biggest goal is to get to a point where I can scale at a girl and make sure that it's getting to the people that it most needs to get to. Um mm. And that's the goal, and that's seeing a couple of you know iterations and different plans and models. and I feel like with each one, I come closer to what it's supposed to look like,
0: mhm, yeah, and thus the the flexibility in moving towards a goal and even in moving towards a goal revealing what the goal itself really is,
1: right, yeah, exactly.
0: And I, I think that that right there, that's the gist of this podcast, really, in these conversations, is to arrive at a point where, although we may have clarity as of right now of what our destination is, that our our destination will change as we go on this flexible path that you exactly. you mentioned.
1: Yeah, I whether think by force exciting. or choice. <laughs>
0: exactly. So so when did you realize that this is what you wanted to do?
1: So I, I realized that um, really helping people through fitness, I went through my own fitness journey. I lost over 60 pounds. Um, it wasn't an aesthetic goal of mine it was more of a, I'm 20 in my early twenties and I can't walk up three flights of stairs without huffing and puffing. So it was like, I, it was, it was more of a, I was ready for a lifestyle change. Um, so, and that took a couple of different chances and try tries before I got it, you know, got it consistent and got it right. But, um, one of my biggest goals, um, was to help other people, you know, realize that they could do that too. So, um for me I guess I I realized the question was when did I realize right I went mm-hmm. off yeah. Um basically I would say during my own fitness journey I had a, a moment like a catalyst that I was like oh I enjoyed helping this person through this workout you know um maybe and it got the wheels turning um and it wasn't until I really started coaching at the school that I coach at now, and taking girl to that next level, that I realized that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I have a background in fashion; like I went to school uh, at F- I went to FIT to learn uh, business and marketing, and I utilized it. and I realized very quickly that I didn't like working in that field um, and fell into fitness just because of my own personal experience, but realized, you know, just how meaningful and impactful on different levels it could be, um, for all different types of people.
0: Wow. That's pretty powerful. So something that I, I say all the time is I say that change comes when there's an impulse that is greater than your conditioning. And for you, when you decided that you wanted to get a little fitter
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, be able to walk upstairs without uh, getting tired or huffing and puffing, yeah. what was that moment like? Was there a, a moment where you're like, "Yep, yeah, this is it." the 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 light switch just kind of went on, and it was time to make a change. Do you remember that day or that moment?
1: It was a, it was like a series. I was going through a breakup at the time, like my first meaningful adult relationship. And it was a time of transition. And of course, you know, with that ending of a relationship was the thought of like, oh, I'm, my life is going to change. I'm going to go out, have new experiences, meet new people. And I wanted to first make sure that I felt good about myself. And, um, you know, I had really just been indulgent. Like I, I ate fast food a lot. I, you know, I was, drinking, I was in my twenties, I was going out partying a lot. And you know, I was just like, you know, I I want to start over, but I want to start over as the person that like I envision myself being. Um I was also dealing with like really, really, really bad anxiety and depression at the time. So my therapist had actually recommended trying an activity to get my mind, you know, my mindset in a different place at least for like an hour a day. Um, so that, you know, that was like the turning point where I was like, okay, like it's time, it's time to make a change. And, you know, I want to make sure that I stick to it. Mm -hmm. So, so finding the right vehicle and, you know, helpers and people to, to make that happen was really important. Mm -hmm. And that was like the moment that I realized that.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. And were you were you athletic or uh, physical in high school or growing up?
1: I played tennis in high school. I was pretty decent, but I didn't. I stopped in college and I started and working. college. Yeah, I st- I had to I worked my way through college. So when I wasn't at school, I was at work, you know, um, being young, you kind of have an engine. So like I would go out, have fun go to work, go to class, the cycle, you know, would repeat. And there was no thought of like going to the gym Mm -hmm. outside of like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe let's try this one week. And then it would, it would be fleeting. Um, And then during college, I did get a job at a gym, at a front desk of an Equinox gym. And I probably could count on one hand, the amount of times I worked out in over the year that I worked there. Wow. you know, it's just, it, I don't, I can't say I was too busy, but it was not a priority in, in college.
0: Interesting enough. <laughs> uh, I, I worked at Equinox uh, downtown San Francisco. That was my first oh, kind funny. of personal training job. And it was when I became a personal trainer that I stopped working out. <laughs> I, I stopped.
1: is that funny? <laughs> yeah,
0: it's insane. I mean, one of the things that I learned at Equinox was how to sell. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, I don't know if this is uh, the right way to say it, but it was like shooting fish in a barrel. It was very easy to get clients. Everybody wanted the thing. They've set up the system, this funnel. And uh, let's say I was good at creating the conversion. Uh, But one of the things that Equinox really uh, showed me was this idea of fitness being something that is um, like putting you in a machine or a system that is uh, completely unconscious and you just kind of like go through the motions and and hope that there's going to be this amazing outcome, but nothing ever happens. And uh, although, yes, there are uh, some people who get fit at Equinox, uh, fitness, it doesn't seem like it's the... Thing that Equinox produces, uh, necessarily. Right. So it's interesting to hear you, you say that. And, yeah. uh, at, at, was it at that time that you were also, uh, seeing a therapist and experiencing anxiety from.
1: So that was like, right. That was probably before that was maybe like two years before that I was working at Equinox. So like, I was very, at that point, very happy with the, with the life that I was leading of just like working school, having fun. Um, But it's funny that you mentioned, like, just like the way that Equinox sells things to people, because to me they always sold like the aesthetic of a healthy lifestyle. But like a lot of the people that I knew went there, did not indulge in a healthy lifestyle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it was just, it was interest, it was an interesting like study of people in a fitness um, environment. Um, and and so I did think back when I was making my decision about different things that I wanted to try when I was ready to get fit. And it definitely was not going to a gym like that. No, no shade. But I just knew that for me, it, 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 it wasn't uh it wasn't giving what it needed to give.
0: <laughs> uh, so uh, when, when it comes to anxiety, do you remember how you first started noticing that you were anxious?
1: I, uh, yeah. So I, <laughs> I, probably when I was a kid. Like, I remember feeling anxious. And I always, at that age, like, I didn't have the words or the vocabulary or the emotional intelligence to know what I was feeling. But I could, um, I could relate it to music. So like, my parents are just like musical uh, junkies, like they just love music. So Growing up in their household, my dad was a musician. You know, my mom is really into music, like I said. So there was always albums playing, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. Well, not the Rolling Stones, really. But just a lot of great artists. And, you know, you listen to what your parents listen to when you're little. So there were certain songs that I would, like, emotionally connect to. And one of them was the Beatles, A Day in the Life. And there's a portion of that where the orchestra is just, like, blaring and i remember thinking as a kid like this is what it feels like it feels like very confusing and blaring inside of me and so like i remember having anxiety from like the time i was like maybe 5 or 6 mm.
0: yeah yeah that's that's early on yeah, yeah so and did you ha- it, it felt like that inside of you did you have any physical symptoms
1: um i was really forgetful i'm still really forgetful um Physical as far as, um, that's more cognitive, but physical, physical, not really. No, mm-hmm. like I, I would, I would get like hot, you know, like when you're, when you're nervous and you get really hot, I remember feeling bad as a kid, but I think a lot of kids, you know, f- experience that. Nothing that I can like really think back being disruptive, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. no stomach aches or anything like that.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think anxiety plays such a big role in how we also think about the body. And Mm -hmm. um, some people may be listening and wondering, why why are you curious about anxiety when um, Asia is a strength and conditioning coach and is uh, talking about something else? Well, because anxiety, which uh, stems from the mind, our, our forward thinking of not knowing the uncertainty produces a a physiological response and that that response makes you behave in certain ways that maybe looks like being forgetful or uh, getting hot or uh, feeling like everything is blaring inside but i also think that 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 pain that comes with it that discomfort that that Mm -hmm. thing that anxiety produces can lead you to uh healthy places and yeah for you did did was anxiety the the thing coupled with you noticing that you were uh physically in a place that you didn't identify with with the and including the therapy that that got you to a place okay, I'm now I'm gonna take action, I'm gonna start some activity what what did those three things kind of merge together now that you're thinking back, or
1: they definitely did um, and the physical symptoms of my anxiety didn't really manifest until I was in my 20s when I and that's when I started seeking help that's when it was like palpitations and panic attacks and like very I was like whoa you know I've always had anxiety but now I have these physical like symptoms um so that very much was like a part of you know going to get therapy and having my therapist recommend like how about you try something that gets your mind to focus on your body you know, and being present in your body, and so I try, I did try a couple of different things. I tried cycling. It was very intense. It was too. It was like I was. It was too intimidating. Cycling was too intimidating. And yoga, I I was able to think too much. And I tried CrossFit, and I was like, okay, I really need to focus, or else I'm going to hurt myself. Uh, but also, wow, I didn't, you know, feel any of those physical symptoms. For a couple hours after I worked out, you know, and it's it was definitely like a, a turning moment, like a, a, you know, a moment where I was like, oh, an aha moment of like, mm-hmm. oh, this may be part of the equation.
0: Yeah, that's huge. It's interesting that you you found CrossFit. I, I too, found CrossFit uh, around 2007. What, what year did you find CrossFit?
1: It must have been about 20. 2013.
0: Okay, so a few a yeah. few years later, yeah. but I, I had the same experience where I entered CrossFit and I realized, wow, this is interesting because I'm learning a new skill. Mm-hmm. I need to be focused during the the workout. I feel like I'm competing. Right. Uh, everything puts you very much in your body. Yeah. And so it's very powerful. And. Do you remember the the moment where you decided that this is what you wanted to continue to do just for yourself? Was there a moment where you're like, Oh, this is kind of fun. I'm, I, I'm starting to get that like itch to return. And was there anything in particular that uh, inspired that for you?
1: Um, when I first, my first session, I went to a new gym in Queens that had just opened and I was one of the first members. And so the, it was just me and the coaches, my first session. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, and I had been to a CrossFit class before my, my best friend had been doing it for a few years. I was like, okay, so like everybody's paying attention to me and that's weird. But, uh, I remember the workout had sit-ups and I couldn't do sit-ups. Like I I could do like two and then I would have to stop. And I like was freaky. I had a moment where I was panicking because I was the only person there. So of course both coaches were like on either side of me. <laughs> and I was like, I can't do this. And one by one, I got, I think it was like 50 sit-ups. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this while you watch me. Like this is making me extremely uncomfortable, but I committed to this. I'm not going to get up and walk away. So I, I did them. I did all 50. And I remember leaving and I was crying. <laughs> and i wasn't like upset with that with the coaches or anything but i was like oh my god for like the last hour i did something really hard i was scared i did it and i also didn't think about any of you know the stuff that was bothering me earlier today
0: yeah it's interesting that you have to go through an emotional experience to uh, make meaningful change and yeah. at that time had you already started considering becoming a coach or was that just early on in your fitness journey
1: No, I had no, I had no idea that I was going to continue to come back. And um, it wasn't until maybe a year into CrossFitting that I started helping another um, athlete that I worked out with, another person I worked out with. And, you know, we started connecting on the fact that we both had asthma. I started, you know, telling her things that I did to help you know get me through some of those more challenging conditioning workouts and then during one of the open workouts I was her judge and you know I was like do you want me to help coach you and that was a moment that I was like oh this is cool and you know I got really positive feedback from the person they were like thanks like having you in my ear was really helpful like you knew what to say and I was like hmm you know maybe I'll I'll give it a try and that was, you know, like the planting of the seed as far as coaching. Mm. And um yeah, I I went and got my level one, started coaching pretty soon after that. And it's been almost ten years or nine years. Yeah. Nine years.
0: Yeah, a decade is is yeah. enough to to do some damage. Uh yes. in anything that you focus on. So that's that's very cool that you've arrived at this point where now strength and conditioning coaching is your thing. And, and, uh, you work with, um, several athletes. I think you have your, your, we'll call it your, uh, day job, which is yeah. where you go and you work at a school. Uh, and then you have your business and you have mm-hmm. these two things that you, you juggle. What's, what, what have you noticed now? Just fast forwarding you, you, you're a, you're a strength and conditioning coach. You, uh, have focused on nutrition. Uh, you have chosen to uh, be empowering to women and to, of course, all other people, but it has been a focus of yours. What is the common uh, ground between your business and that which you do on a daily basis with the athletes at, at school?
1: Um, that's a great question. I think at its core, um, getting back to kind of what I was saying before is is the best way to empower someone about their body and themselves is to educate them about their body and themselves. So I find, and it's been through coaching and coaching all different types of people um, through CrossFit, you know, athletes, high level athletes, high school athletes. um, Everyone's the same. Everyone needs that structure. They need accountability. They need that consistency. No matter what the goal is, there are certain parts that just don't change. And the better understanding that a person has of themselves and, and their behaviors and their habits, um, the better they can work on making changes or adding, you know, different things that will help them towards that goal. So I think the biggest thing is, that remains is is that need for, like, structure um, and structure, flexibility and structure. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah.
0: Well, which, which kind of... Takes us back to the beginning. It's it's having a goal and then being flexible in the pursuit of that goal, yeah. and thus the goal itself is also slightly flexible or or it changes as, as you go. But uh, I I hear what you're saying. And if we if we had to take the Asia Campbell's uh, playbook and and uh, share it here, at least the the cliff notes. What what's the playbook? Like the thing that you put into play, the structure, uh, whether it's uh, focusing on a season how you periodize things or uh yeah just what's what's your playbook something that is um a structure that you follow
1: so a structure i follow with pretty much any client athlete that i take on is really meeting that person where they're at um i think that that's that's across the board like the most important thing is to as a coach not put your you know your preconceived notions or you know just the way things usually should work onto a person. You don't want to project those things onto a person. So I try to find out as much about someone as I can, you know, and it's not just what we're doing in our sessions or in the gym. It's like I said, you know, understanding the behaviors and the habits that led them to seek my help or to, you know, like what's, what's really behind the goal. Why is that important? You know, do they want to lose 20 pounds because they want their back to feel better because they want to be able to pick up their kids, you know, and realizing that not everybody's goal is the same. And, you know, that's something, especially as a woman in fitness that I realized not everybody's goal is to lose weight, to be aesthetically pleasing to anyone. You know, sometimes the goal is health related. Sometimes it's performance related. Um, But figuring out the why behind that is really important. So I spend a lot of time in the beginning, you know, just developing, A relationship with my clients, like what kind of food do you like? What does a normal day look like for you? What are you doing on the days that we're not training? You know, um, I check in with my clients a lot because I think it's important to know what's what are they bringing with them into those sessions that we are together. Um, So, you know, that looks like making sure that there's a proper assessment. On the on the physical side of things, like making sure that I know about any past injuries before we start training, figuring out what's a good starting point for that person. Should they jump into a strength phase? Do they need to just work on body weight stuff? You know, um, do they need to develop some core strength before they can graduate to using dumbbells and kettlebells? Um, Nutrition wise, it's what's your relationship with food like? You know, before we even talk about changing anything, like what is your relationship now and Maybe why is it like that? And sometimes I'm not the person, the best person to work with, um, a client on their nutrition and they need, they need somebody that's more specialized, you know? So that also gives me a great opportunity to make sure that I'm referring out when it's, when it's appropriate. Um, and then the last thing I I like to look at is what are the habits and behaviors that you're incorporating into your life now? What do you, what would you like to incorporate, you know? And that has very much to do with what's what's the person that you see yourself as. Like, what do they do? What's a day look like for them? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think starting there, and to me, that's I guess I would call it like dynamic coaching because you're coaching somebody not just from that physical aspect, but also you know from a a three hundred and sixty kind of kind of view. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's really Im- important, and that would be like the pillar to my my if I had like any coaching philosophy that's the pillar is like meet someone where they're at and coach the entire human
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and it's and it's uh it's challenging sometimes to meet people where they are at have you uh found yourself being more selective in your business and maybe uh more flexible in your we're just going to call it day job uh coaching people in school who are already there and have been kind of funneled your mm-hmm. way. Uh, is, is, is there a difference there or do you just treat everybody, uh, the same way?
1: Oh, as far as treatment, I try my best to treat everyone the same way. Um, I will say the biggest difference is that, you know, when you have somebody who's, who's paying for a service, they are investing, you know, um, in themselves and in the service they show up a little bit differently than somebody who has a whole bunch of midterms next week and has to be here because their coach said that they're not going to get any game time unless they go to strength and conditioning. But I think it's important to treat them as closely as you can to the same because you might be able to change the perspective of that kid who's just like showing up and going through the motions or you might be able to strike a, a, you know, an inflection point with them that makes them kind of the light bulb, you know, makes the light bulb go off. Um, and also I treat all my athletes the same. And if you want to show up and you want to put energy in, that's great. Um, but at the same time, I'm not really into forcing kids to, to show up. I kind of feel like I feel like they, they, have to, they have to buy in. It's easier to make them buy in than to force them to show up. So I'm on team, try to make them buy in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is there a culture you've developed around um, creating buy-in, especially when you're working with teenagers in the school? Yes.
1: It all comes back to education. And teenagers especially are perfect because they're already primed, their brains are primed to learn because they've been learning all day. I think it's harder to teach adults sometimes because we're so conditioned to do certain things. Kids aren't conditioned yet, like they're in the process. So, um, and they're still creating their personal sense of self. Um, so I think that the buy-in is is all about teaching them again about why they're doing what they're doing. Like, you know, half of the session in, in the beginning is spent on actually moving, but a lot of the session is spent it's dialogue about why we're doing squats today, how that relates to their sport, you know, what intensity we're looking for, why that's important. Um, I started incorporating when I have my athletes do sign-ins, um, making sure that they let me know we have a little rating system of how they're feeling that day. Um, so just really, uh, creating, creating a space for them to, to be able to just, sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. Um,
0: yeah, you were talking about, um, we are talking about creating a culture for uh, the right. kids to buy in. And so, one of the things that you do is that check-in that
1: right. uh, so, allows so, them to
0: talk about their feelings, too.
1: Thank you. Let them talk about their feelings, but also lets them know that this is for them. Mm. Um, and once they see it as an act of service, rather than like they're showing up and somebody's there to help them get better. I feel like even if they begrudgingly show up, they show up because they know um, that there's someone there that cares about their performance and, you know, making sure that they don't get injured. So once they understand that, I feel like the buy-in is greater. There are going to be kids that still don't care. And at the end of the day, you know, you do, you do what you can, but Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, you got to pick your battles.
0: (laughs) Totally, totally. And and it's, and it's a challenging one when you're working with teenagers. uh, I used to coach a group of teenagers for several years, and it was some of the most meaningful work that I've ever done. And they taught me so much. And one of the big things that they taught me was that they're the boss. Meaning, yeah, that they, they don't want to be told what to do. They want to tell you what is going to happen. And The, and 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 I think there's a fine line between allowing them to control the show and uh, the way the process works versus um, allowing them to uh, find autonomy within or just that that ability to self govern within a system, within an approach, within a method. And that is a very challenging thing to do, but you you said it very well, which is uh dialogue and connecting with them. And feelings are so they're so important. I mean, uh, these kids would come with crazy stories, uh, you know, just from school, and they had to vent that out. So I would just let them go crazy for a while. And then eventually, they they would settle and, and they were ready to to learn. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, they they're primed for learning. Has there been anything that has surprised you or that has enlightened you uh, when working with uh, these kids?
1: How smart they are and how self aware they are. Just today, I was going over an assignment because part of my job at the school is I I teach a course uh, for sports science for sports medicine, and one of the assignments I gave them, um, is like the first part of a habit building assignment and it's to describe their ideal self. Like who do they see themselves being? What kind of habits does that person have? You know, what kind of people does that person hang out with? And the responses I got were just really like made me step back and take a, take a beat because they were just so, um, able to think outside of themselves um you could tell that they put a lot of genuine um attention and thoughtfulness into the assignment um the fact that they do realize what possibilities Mm -hmm. lay ahead of them but that it is hard work and that you know one person mentioned and there are things about myself that i need to change if i want to be this person you know that actualization of like and and personal responsibility of like i can do and be this person and as i'm reading it they're saying i want to be this person and this is what i have to do to be this person and by the end it's most of them were saying like oh and i i can do this it was like a very positive you know inflection at the end of like realizing okay like i got this Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah. uh
0: As challenging as it is to work with teenagers, I I love the fact that that's something that you um, were able to experience, because I don't think we give teenagers, especially teenagers, enough credit. And um, I think we also forget how hard it is to be a teenager. Yeah, There's a lot going on. But the fact that that level of self-awareness is there and that there is a window, even if it's small, like this course or this assignment, right. uh, to be able to express that self-awareness. I think that just little bit uh, makes a huge difference in the long run. And, and and something that I believe in is that we have this superpower called self-awareness, which is that we are aware that we're aware, thus we right. can see ourselves from the outside. And, uh, that allows us to understand ourselves a little better. And, and that being the thing, the tool, the mechanism that allows us to, to grow. But funny enough, we, we have amnesia and we forget this and we spend our whole life trying to remember to become self-aware. Right. So I, I just love that you are able to bring this to this, this, this group of, of athletes, people. Uh, and I know that you work with different sports. Uh, how many different sports do you do you work with?
1: I work with 12 sports. Actually, 11. We have a bowling team I do not have the pleasure of working with, but maybe one day.
0: <laughs> okay. So there's a bowling team, there basketball, is. softball, I assume.
1: Yeah. We got volleyball, lacrosse, soccer, tennis, swimming, track. I mean, you have outdoor, indoor Oh, I hope I'm not forgetting anybody because I'll get.
0: It's okay if they'll, you forget. Blame it, blame it on me. Blame it on the moment. Uh, my my curiosity is there a sport or a practice that you found mm-hmm. that uh, elicits um, a little bit more of body awareness?
1: Absolutely. Um, cheer. I didn't mention cheer, and that is the sport at cheer and dance. And it's funny because this is – I feel like this makes sense on so many different levels. But um cheer and dance, and because they are so used to using their bodies in ways that produce power similar to the ways that we do in the weight room, I find that they are very, very good at picking up um, weightlifting, resistance training, body weight training – Um, you know, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that most of them have a gymnastics background, um, or some sort of high level dance background, which includes a lot of flexibility and balance training and stuff like that. So,
0: Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because if we just look at in the U S especially, uh, through the lens of our society and culture, you look at, uh, cheerleaders and they're on the sidelines.
1: I know it's crazy.
0: you look at dancers and they're the backup to the lead singer, they kind of come second in a way. But then when it comes to body awareness and the ability to express athleticism, which is the highest level of physical expression, they carry the keys.
1: A hundred percent.
0: What's happening here?
1: A hundred percent. I have no idea. I don't know. Why, why <laughs> <laughs> I think there's this perception of, you know, and I've I've had to get into like not physical, I think, thankfully, but verbal, you know, debates with people about cheerleaders being athletes and cheerleaders, cheerleading being a sport. And I don't even know why that's like a question. Um, when you look at the uh, amount of skill it takes to, to not just do those on a very foundational, like rudimentary, rudimentary level, but to like really, um, be proficient at that, you know, those things. It's just how could you argue anything? But, um, so I, I don't know.
0: It is interesting, uh, nonetheless. And and I, I just bring that up as a, an open-ended question because I do think that when we become aware of these things, we also become aware that there's something hindering the inclusivity or mm-hmm. the appreciation or the... Um. Yeah the the uh, kind of uh, control that we have in creating systems and cultures that celebrate maybe uh, these sports. I I did gymnastics, so gymnastics is only celebrated every four years at the Olympics. That's right. that's when gymnastics. You hear about gymnastics. You watch the Olympics, and you're like, oh, watch gymnastics is pretty pretty cool. But other than that, gymnastics is this sport that just uh, lives in the shadows. Yet gymnasts happen to have, uh, keys and tools to learn other things really, uh, effectively and efficiently. And it's, it's just an interesting, um, realization. Uh And I'm wondering what, what can we do or what do you do? Is there anything that you have learned from working with, uh, cheerleaders or dancers that maybe has translated into your own practice, your own development?
1: Um, so one thing that I do notice about cheerleaders, especially, um, is they're very bonded as a team. And I think that that speaks to what they do. They're literally throwing each other and catching each other in the air. So you have to have a high level of trust for your, for your teammates. Um, but I think that the way that they kind of approach training is, a little bit different because they're very much like uniform. It's easy to get them to do things together because they're in their sport. They do things in, in small groups, you know. Um, So they lend themselves to like the perfect sessions. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So but the cheerleaders, they have they, they they've taught you a little bit more about the importance of teamwork or working together teamwork, or that work
1: trust. Yeah. Working together, trusting each other, how important it is for the people in the. The session to feel, you know, bonded and work together. Um, I think that training alone is fine, but when you get kids, even on track, like track is a very independent sport. Um, there's, but there's so many ways to bond as a team, you know. Um, and I think that that just aids in also me realizing that, you know, even just just making sure that you're putting people together in the room that respect each other, that understand each other, have similar goals is always going to produce something, um, something great. Um, that bond that you have with your athletes is so important that trust and without that trust, there's really nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really helped me approach, approach working with my athletes, um, from a more like emotional aspect. Um, and, and really about like the, Again, going back to like the culture of like the sessions, mm-hmm. and so I think I think the athlete culture has affected my coaching culture in a lot of different ways.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's very meta, and I like that a lot. Is there anything you do specifically, like let's say uh, you're squatting? Is it uh, helping people uh, learn how to spot each other? Is there anything like that 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 uh, is kind of taught?
1: Yeah. So. Um... Most of the time, just, I mean, also because we have equipment, you know, constrictions. Um, It's working within a group. There, We learn about spotting. So I'm teaching them how to spot bench, um, how to spot, you know, when somebody else is is squatting, etiquette, you know, like the respect that that comes along with training with a group of people. Um, It's also educating them like I said about their bodies. So they're not now watching each other and they're able to coach each other, you know, Oh, Hey, um, keep your chest up on that squat or, you know, make sure that you're, you know, you're stepping forward with this foot when you, when you lunge. So, and I, I love seeing them help each other because, um, that's, that's what it's about. And like I said, it all just kind of cycles and feeds, it, it feeds the purpose of the session, Mm -hmm. which is to make them better not only individually but as a team.
0: Mhm. Yeah, that's really really powerful, which also kind of goes back to this idea of producing autonomous individuals that are are capable of collaborating which yeah. is exactly what I think we need in this world at the moment. Yes. Uh more than ever. And just shifting gears specifically into working with young women. What what have you found that young mo- women right now in the United States or at least where you are are, uh, dealing with that are, are challenges that you, 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 you see kind of appear over and over again, whether they seem subtle or small or are big and very relevant. What, what is it that you're observing?
1: Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind always is body image, uh, body image awareness, and just, um, the perception that a lot of young women have of themselves and of what they're supposed to, um, maybe look like or um, you know, what's expected of them in society. Um, I s- learned a hard lesson a couple years ago when I thought it would be a great idea to have all of athletes students write out their goals with erasable markers on a big mirror. and like most of them were very specific aesthetic goals you know, around different body parts. And it just, it made me sad because the whole point, you know, I had imagined walking in and being like, I want to, you know, be able to squat, you know, a hundred pounds or be able to, you know, um, increase my vertical and here, you know, we're just insecurities written on a mirror. And I was like, wow. Okay. Um, I get it, you know, um, and so I, th- I think that's, that's the biggest struggle is getting them, and even athletes, you know, hearing athletes say things like, my, my legs are too muscular. Like, no, your legs are powerful and strong and they do what you need them to do. And that's why you're such a great athlete, you know. Um, but that would probably be the biggest um, thing that I noticed about training young women, but I do also notice how it is possible to flip that into mindset once they're introduced to resistance training and they start looking at themselves and their bodies at as, as, you know, very capable. It's not about what they don't have or what they're lacking. It's what they can do. And, you know, that was a change I saw in myself. Even though I didn't have, you know, aesthetic motivations completely, you know, when you work out, you want to see some sort of result. I mean, anything you want something to tell you some measure to tell you that it's working and being able to have them track their weights that they're using and see that they're increasing, they're getting stronger, they're getting faster, you know, um, really takes the focus off of fitness as a whole about being totally aesthetic. Um, you know, because it is okay to have aesthetic goals, but you know, it should be more centered about, you know, what your body is capable of, and I, I do see that that mindset shift. So I think that that's important, and I think that, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about what I do and bringing fitness to people that, like I said, need it the most. Um, mm-hmm. And I think young people really need to understand their bodies um, to become older people, adults that that have a better, you know. Um, capacity for self-awareness and reflection and grace, giving themselves grace and giving in turn, giving other people grace. So,
0: yeah, that's that's big and heartbreaking. And I mean, I think we all to some degree uh, deal with uh, self-image issues. I know I do. I, I, Mm -hmm. I know I look at myself in the mirror and catch myself saying, uh, oh my God, look at this, look at that. You should be, you, you know, should, should, yeah. should. And then all of a sudden you're you're just in this dark hole and uh, your own little pity party. And it's hard to get out of there. Uh, it's very, very challenging. But something that I've found and that you were kind of alluding to is that how uh, beautiful and how powerful function is being able yeah. to perform. And it sounds like this idea of helping people find how they best can express themselves physically mm-hmm. can also lead to how they can best express themselves psychologically and emotionally and and so on. And I'm curious um now specifically when it comes to working with uh, uh, Sunny Choi, Grace Sunny Choi. Uh, she is a, a, an Olympic hopeful breakdancer, breaker, b-girl. Uh that that that's what connected you and you mm-hmm. and me uh when I was looking for somebody for her to who to work with. How has it been working with somebody who is a um a break dancer? And I think she she's your first ever break dancer that you've worked with. Yes, she is. Oh
1: <laughs> my God. Uh
0: yeah, what's that experience been like?
1: A joy. If I like if I could describe Sunny and working with Sunny in one word, it would be joyful because um she is Sunny um, by all depictions, and um, it's it's been great for a number of reasons. One of them is that being a former gymnast, as we spoke about, Sunny came to the table with a ton of body awareness, um, core strength, um, body weight strength. She had never really done any strength training or resistance training before we met, so it was... Great because we it was a blank canvas to start to build a nice foundation, knowing that that foundation is going to, you know, really carry her and help her, you know, get to the the goal um, that she has in mind. So it was really exciting from that aspect, um, and then her attitude and her mindset that she brings forth, and I think that comes from a couple of different areas in her life. You know, the fact that she was a high level gymnast is one. That, I mean, I don't have to tell you the type of dedication that it it takes at that level of any sport but especially um one that's really hard on on your body and I think also, you know, just her upbringing, her family, um her family values and and you know, morals and and the way she shows up for herself is really I think very admirable. Um and yeah, it's 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 fun. It's it's fun i i'm excited to work with my clients and i'm i'm excited to even more when clients are really excited to you know push it and and push the their limits and Mm -hmm. she's she's doing that and it's it's been great to to witness it's really inspiring and 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 amazing to to see
0: yeah no no doubt about that uh and it's been fantastic to see her evolution in working with you and just to see how that physical conditioning and preparation has definitely translated into her her craft as as uh, a dancer and uh yeah inching her closer to the goal of being in paris in 2024 for the olympics where uh Breaking will be uh, debuting uh yeah their first ever it's uh exciting. Olympics, which yeah, first ever Olympic appearance, which is super super exciting now something that I've been thinking about is there are uh, I, I assume you've learned something about breaking over the last couple months working with Sonny. oh yeah is, is there yeah is there something that you you feel like every breaker um should know uh, about strength and conditioning? something that has to be debunked.
1: Who I I mean like I feel like especially for women and younger breakers getting into the weight room like not thinking that you know they're going to bulk up. You know, people think that they touch a weight and they just like pfft. I mean if that were the case I, I mean there would be so many people walking around looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think um one thing is that and this is like across the board Sometimes it's not more skill training that's going to make you better. Sometimes it's taking a step, not back from skill training, but incorporating a different style of training. And I think that most any athlete can benefit from some form of strength and conditioning.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And what are the the elements of strength and conditioning that you would say that a, a breaker needs specifically?
1: One of the biggest things that I think breakers need specifically is unilateral working on unilateral strength um because so much of the sport is spent pushing and catching off of one side of the body um i noticed that one of the things that we 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 have focused heavily on is making sure that you know we're incorporating a lot of unilateral single leg single arm work a lot of rotational work um as well just because of the way that your body's moving at such high velocities. You know, Um, I think, if nothing else, the stability and the resilience that strength training offers is something that helps in a sport like breakdancing, especially when it comes to like longevity.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a huge one, because they take a beating. And it's, uh, it's a craft that is, yeah, it can be pretty hard on on your body. Yeah. And when it comes to nutrition, what is something that you think should be uh, at the center of just anybody who cares about performing at a high level? And maybe that you have also noticed in conversations with uh, Sunny?
1: Eat your protein, everybody eat protein. And if you're eating protein, eat more protein. Uh, I've, so that's one, one thing that Sunny gives great feedback. So like we'll implement something and she'll try it and she'll get back to me and she'll let me know, you know, without me even having to ask like how it's going. And one of the biggest, um, changes that we made to her diet was making sure that she was measuring and hitting a certain protein goal. And she's told me, she's like, I feel like I'm recovering totally differently I feel differently when I battle, you know, I'm noticing I'm not as hungry, I'm not snacking as much. Um, And I think that's like one of the biggest things for most of the general population, but also especially athletes, because you are putting in, you know, that extra time, and that extra activity would be getting enough protein. Mm -hmm.
0: And if we were to take kind of like macronutrients dial, and we say protein, carbohydrates and fat, um, how, how do you dial those? <laughs> is there is there a way of thinking about those yeah. in general that uh, could be just a, a good way of just getting an idea of how to balance your nutrition?
1: Yeah, I, I always like the 35-35-30, you know, 35 protein, 35 carbs, 30 fat, um, and going from there, using that as a starting point, because I think that everybody's different. Um, nutrition is nuanced. Some people perform with a little bit more carbohydrates. Some people like, or their preference is more carbohydrates. Their preference are foods, you know, you gotta think about culturally too, what people are eating at home. So I like to start with the 35, 35, 30, work from there. But I, I definitely prioritize. And when I work with clients, I don't even have them track carbohydrates and fat. I have them, number one, make sure you're getting enough calories. Um, and staying within a a range that supports your goals. And number two, let's make sure we're hitting that protein goal. Let's not worry about the carbs and the fat, because if you're hitting, you know, you're getting the right amount of calories and the right amount of protein, everything else will fall into place where it needs to. Um, And, you know, making nutrition also very accessible to people. Macros are really confusing and they take a long time to calculate and they're overwhelming. And when you're, an athlete and have a ton of stuff on your plate that's not something that you that's easy to incorporate so I think making Mm -hmm. it as approachable and as easy as you can is the ticket um Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah what's a trick for that
1: um a really good trick is using hand signs highs Hand-sized portions um, is one thing that I utilize with some of my clients. That you know, sometimes people are like, "Listen, I'm gonna get too obsessive if I start tracking anything." Um, and I know myself, so is there another way? And really, nutrition comes down to consistency. So if you're consistently eating the same portions of proteins, of carbo, you know, carbs or sides or whatever, and you're seeing the pr- Yourself track in the direction that you need to, that's a good thing. Just keep doing what you're doing. And if you're not and you're seeing, you know, you track further away from the goal, then we maybe have to talk about getting a little bit more refined and focused. But hand portions are a great way, you know, to say like a palm of protein. Hands in relation to a human are usually, um, you know, big people have big hands. They need more food. So that makes sense. Tiny people have tinier hands. Um, so it's relative to what you need um so that's that's another way that I work especially with high school athletes because they're not going into my fitness pal most of them and and they're not gonna track it they're not gonna do it right anyway <laughs> at mm-hmm. that age yeah so,
0: yeah that's <laughs> yeah that's teaching people
1: or just food journaling just being more mindful um sometimes it's not always about you know restrictions or things like that. It's it's just being about mindful. A, A lot of people I work with don't eat enough. Um, so it's, it's making sure that they're keeping a log so they can go back and see like where they might be able to add more food.
0: Hmm. Yeah, something that we see all the time in in high performing athletes who are maybe in pain or experiencing pain or not recovering fully is that yeah they're 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 at least lacking the calories and not to mention maybe protein, which is the building blocks, and then getting immediate access to energy, carbohydrates, exactly. and then being able to regulate regulate how how you're processing that fat. Um, it's just nowhere to be seen in their in their in their awareness, uh, thus the journaling part is, is journaling something that you, you, uh, recommend, uh, your athletes do. Is this something that you do?
1: So it's something that I don't do consistently, like on a, on a continuous, sorry, continuously. I find journaling to be helpful for me just the same way that I find tracking my macros to be helpful. If I'm working towards a specific goal for a few weeks and I need to kind of like crunch and focus and like be very um you know um conscious of what I'm doing day after day. I'll journal. Um I I do not journal on a daily basis. So, mm-hmm. um, I, so I don't yeah. but yeah,
0: it can be it can catalyze an awareness, but it's not something that you need to do every single day. It's yeah. kinda like doing the the exercise uh, exactly. that you yeah. Yeah. But exactly. I do
1: recognize that a lot of people in order for it to work at all for them they do need to incorporate that into their routine. So, you know, I'm I'm of the mindset just because I do or I don't do something doesn't mean that that's not the right thing for the client or athlete. So, it's helping them figure out, hey, I don't make my bed every day, but if making your bed every day makes you feel more in control and sets a tone for your morning, I think you should make your bed every day. You know, um, so I think that it's really helpful for athletes, especially when they're trying to establish a habit or behavior, because Mm -hmm. you're able to look back if you do have a a shitty couple of days or a bad day, you can look back and see that, you know, see some some measure of like where you started, where you are and where you're going. So I think Mm -hmm. when it comes to like establishing behaviors and habits, it can be really helpful.
0: Yeah, so we've been going through your your own personal journey of finding your body, finding awareness in your body and experiencing anxiety, having a therapist, going to school, working your way through school and then uh yeah, finding your your way of expressing yourself physically and and now sharing that. And my my first question to you today was uh, you know, what what is the uh punchline of this of this conversation? If you if you go back to just thinking about your, your goal, um do you have now uh, more clarity than you had when you first started this whole journey about your goal? Or is it more uh convoluted and confusing uh at this point? Where where are you at? And there's no real right answer here. I'm just curious.
1: Um it's so clear now. But during the process, it was so convoluted and confusing. Um, Atta Girl was initially an uh, apparel company. I made t-shirts. I was util- utilizing that FIT background. And before the pandemic hit, I had decided I had already been coaching. I was coaching at the school. I had a few of my own you know, private clients. And I was transitioning Out of a gym, and I was like, you know, I really would like a Girl to be something bigger, um, bigger than clothing. You know, there are enough power lines in the world. I I can do, I have a different skill set that I can, um, you know, bring to the table. So I started pivoting the business and just happened to really like the online model. And it also helped that I didn't own a gym. So there, you know, that was a, a great option for me at the time. And then, you know, the pandemic um, hit and I found myself in a place where I, I was really uncertain. Um, a lot of things in my life changed and I wasn't sure, you know, the direction that I was going in. And I felt really confused about what I wanted Adagirl to be. And I would say it took going through that and, you know, a couple of different false starts and trying to keep pushing in ways that weren't working, you know, getting tired and exhausted and trying something else, going back to the first way I did it, you know, so it was, I went through all that. And then I would say, um, within the last year, year and a half, I feel like my purpose is very clear. Um, it took turning down, a, a what I thought was going to be a really amazing job opportunity to realize that, being at the school is exactly where I need to be right now. Um, working with clients like Sunny always helps, um, but the the group of clients that I work with now, you know, is is growing, and and I'm I feel like it becomes more clear every day, you know, how I'm supposed to be of service, you know, to people.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what's the mission?
1: I guess it would be to empower through education you know, is, is really the biggest takeaway. Um, the more educated you are about the your body, the choices you make, what you put into your body, um, what's going on in your body and how you're feeling, um, the more empowered you are as a human being um, and the more in touch you are with yourself. And I feel like when you're empowered in that way, there's literally like no one can take that from you. So you're, you're just energized to keep, you know, passing it forward. Um so I think that's a takeaway. Education is is empowering.
0: Mm I love it. Well, thank you Asia. This has been uh great not not only to learn from you today but to get to know you in in an, in a, a slightly different way and I I I uh, I enjoyed it very much and I, I know there was a lot of nuggets here that people will <laughs> be able to uh draw from. And um I'm wondering did you find any clarity during uh our conversation?
1: Absolutely. I find clarity every time I talk to you, Carl. I feel like you are really good at talking to people and allowing them to um, access, you know, places and things, you know, within the conversation and and get to certain, you know, have those aha moments as, as we're talking. So absolutely. And, mm. you know, um, it's been just so nice to be able to share with you you know what's going on what what I'm doing and and the amazing people that I get to work with including Sunny um and including you so thank you mm,
0: thank you that's that's very very kind of you and and I I didn't ask that question to uh get some flowers from you but I'll I'll take them take and the I'm flowers. learning to receive <laughs> I'll take the flowers thank you very much <laughs> that's amazing uh, but I, I I I wanted to ask you that because I think it's so important that we all realize that we're all work in progress and that yeah. we're all trying to figure it out as we go. And that no matter how well thought out you are or how much you've done or how much experience you have or who you're talking to, there's always something that you can get from it. And yeah. those those moments of clarity, those little nuggets that you you pick up, those accumulate. And yeah. eventually when you look back, they they not only become a body of knowledge, but they also allow you to see how when that knowledge is implemented in context, for example, for you, it's through your business and the coaching that you do at school gives you greater understanding and that understanding leading to a place of not necessarily happiness or uh, this sense of like, oh, I'm I'm killing it at life. But having this this sense that there is fulfillment, yet there is uh, some dissatisfaction that you mm-hmm. can utilize as a way of continuing to grow. Maybe uh, even exploring uh, a, a curious nature that you may have, and and to to live in the state of infinite adaptation or progression and growth. Yeah. And that being that being the that being the path, which is exactly what you said in the beginning, is that you have the goal, but a flexible way yeah. of getting
1: there the journey is the goal. I mean, like that's, that's, it's the best part to be honest.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. And it's, it's so cliche, but
1: it's, it's very much the truth. It's true. (laughs) Cliches can Mm -hmm. be true.
0: (laughs) They can Uh, just like stereotypes. Sometimes Uh, (laughs) (laughs) we won't open that can of worms. We will
1: not. We will not.
0: Asia, I appreciate you. Thank you for for being on the podcast. And uh, is there any way that people can support you? Where can they find you?
1: The best place the best well, thank you so much for having me. Um the best place to find me is on Instagram because that funnels to everything else. Um Asia Campbell 21 is my personal and then @girl.newyork um you know, the little at sign Uh, those are my two handles. So that's, that's where you can find me and contact me and find all the other, uh, social mediums.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again. And, uh, yeah, I'll talk, I'll talk to you very soon. Okay. Sounds
1: good. (laughs) All right. All right. This is the freestyle way.